Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Mason Moreland. Thanks for being on the show, Mason. Hey, thanks for having me, Whitney. Pleasure to be here. Mason is a finance partner at Texas Vine Country, operator of Canton County Vineyards in La Mesa, Texas. He started out investing in residential real estate and used lessons learned there to tenaciously underwrite every business he came across as a deal, using this superpower to find untapped niches and people to make an impossible project a reality. It's interesting how you say untapped niches and people. Uh, so I hope we get into that. So Texas Vine Country has expanded Canton County Vineyards footprint by 483% in 2020, making it one of the largest vineyards in Texas. And Texas is big. Texas is big. <laughs> it's awfully big. Uh, and will open the most advanced custom winemaking facility in the state, Firm Forge, in the summer of 2021. Mason, thank you for your time. I welcome you on the show. Grateful to have you. Why don't you give us a little more about Texas Vine Country and what this is and vineyards. I mean, we haven't had too many people talk about vineyards before and why we should even know about that or that's even a thing to invest in and maybe, you know, what Firm Forge is a little bit, what you all are up to. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think the only one I remember offhand is, is maybe Brandon Silviera down there in Central Valley, which he does some really cool stuff too. But yeah, Texas Vine Country, we're basically a partnership of folks that have all our own individual superpowers, right? The partnership is the original syndication. You go out and you find people that have the talent that you don't have or the resources that you don't have, and you come together to make what you can't do individually happen. It's sort of the culmination of a lot of maybe not fortuitous, but events that were meant to happen over the last three or four years. I remember the very start of it was I was sitting in my bed with my wife just hanging out one day. This was either right before or right after I had my first kid. And we were watching some movies and we started watching some wine movies. I thought, you know, wow, that is really cool. Those people just like hanging out on their estate in France. And that looks like the life. That's what I should do. You know, Texas has tons of land. It's fairly cheap. And when from there, I had a buddy that's been working with, they're both our partners now, who's a vineyard manager. And I called him and I said, hey, I'm really interested in this vineyard thing. Can you teach me some more about it? Give me some numbers. Because, you know, I do real estate. You know, we've got single family homes, multifamily properties. And this is something that I like to analyze. So he got me a bunch of numbers and kind of explained how it worked. And I'm somewhat familiar with agriculture. I'm a wildlife biologist by trade. But just like I do with everything, I built a model and started trying to figure out how does this work. And I got to the end of that first model and I dialed up my buddy and I said, you are crazy. No one would do this. This is insane. You're either going to lose everything or you're going to make a lot of money. But it's not a whole lot of margin for error there. And we started looking into the why. You know, why is it crazy? Where are the holes in this model that, that make it dangerous? Where are the risks? How do we plug those risks? Where do we need to find that? The way we got to where we are now is we found those people, we found the talent, we found the resources. Nice. You know, when you say making a model, what does that mean? 
really just underwriting, right? That's what everybody calls it when you're going to finance. But you look at each step in the process. So if you're going to do something that maybe your audience is more familiar with, you have a multifamily property that's either off market or on the MLS and they have some sort of pro forma telling you what the numbers are, what the income is, it's the same exact thing. You build the life cycle of that business. I do it in Excel or Google Sheets, and you find where those risks are by playing with your variables. So that's what I've done forever. You know, I love getting in there and starting from scratch and building an organism, you know, in Excel and figuring out where the holes are. That's so interesting. I'm thankful that there are people like you that enjoy that. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> There's not a lot. You know, it must be genetic. My dad, he's a CPA. And, you know, I don't know if he enjoys spreadsheets. Man, is he good at them. That's kind of rubbed off on me. Maybe I got the enjoyment of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah, I've heard so many times even in this business, you know, to really learn underwriting, like build your own model so you can see where everything's coming from. Where how do we get this calculation? You're going to know then that it took from this over here and it took from that or how that was calculated. But that was so tedious for us, you know, when we were trying to do that. And that makes me nervous. Well, especially in Excel, I've messed up this one thing. Well, do I know it still works? And so just not my specialty. Thankfully, we do have somebody on our team that's, extremely talented in that area. I guess walk us through that just a little bit. I love how you said, you know, look at each step in the process and then you just build the life cycle of that project. Makes it sound so easy, right? <laughs> Sounds way easier than it really is, right? So, you end up with you like know, a 50-sheet spreadsheet. Right. And I know that even in 20 minutes, we can't unfold all of this, but let's dive into that a little bit and how you do that and what you're looking at. Some We're trying to build that sheet or build that model to figure this out because it's not like you're just doing multifamily time and time and time and time again. I mean, you're doing this for different businesses, different projects as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing I start out with is I literally pull up a blank spreadsheet and I just do a brainstorm, you know, or even a notepad. And you got to think about the main things, right? You got to think about where's your income coming from? What's the timing of the income? How does the income change year over year, month over month? What's the variability in it? Where are the risks there? Financing is huge, right? What structure are you going to use? That's really big in agricultural pursuits too, because you can tie financing to cash. You can tie financing to land. You can tie financing to your receivables. But the main parts are to take that, where's the income coming from? How are you servicing debt if you have it? or any operating costs. I like to put them out on a timeline first and then build out from there. Okay. So income listed out numerous things you have to take into <laughs> account there and obviously the debt and financing. What else are you looking at? I mean, you know, if you're thinking of a vineyard versus a multifamily or some other type of completely different project, well, there's obviously lots of different variables there for each one of those. How do you even find those things, those variables or those risks or those things that you need to account for when it's maybe a project you're not as familiar with? If we're doing multifamily every day, well, then we understand most of the risks, majority of the time, I wouldn't ever say all the time, but majority of the time, we know we need to account for. But, you know, if you were to give me a vineyard right now and say, you know, underwrite this, I, I'd be calling you for sure. Where do you even go to figure out what other risks that you need to account for? Uh, that's a great question because that was the first brick wall that we hit, right? It's like, how do you figure out where your risks are? You know, obviously, you can take from your other experience in other industries and, and think of those risks, but really, they don't necessarily translate very well, like you're saying. So the first step is to see if somebody else has built a model out there, right? If you can find somebody else that's analyzed a similar deal and is willing to share that information with you, that is an incredible resource because first off, you can see, okay, what do they see as risks in this business, A, right? B, build your own model based off of whatever you can find or whatever information you can glean. 
once you build your own model, you'll start to see by just playing with different variables going up and down, you're going to see what moves the needle the most on your margins, particularly the timing of your revenue and things like that. And then three, I think the most important is you got to go find people with that superpower you're missing. And for us, that was a couple different people, but particularly Rusty and Dustin on our team. They are both entrepreneurs and they are deeply, deeply involved in the great business in Texas. So they know offhand, what all equipment do I need? You know, the cost, I can dial somebody up on their cell phone right then and figure out what's the cost per T-post if I order 40 truckloads of T-posts. That kind of thing you can't just get if you're not in the industry, right? So you got to go find those people with that superpower, that talent, and those resources. Yeah, and you refer to it as syndicating talent. I love that. Why don't you elaborate on that a little more while we're on that? And I'd love to come back to just the model stuff. Syndicating talent, was this something that your all's team finally learned one day and said, oh, you know, we got to find somebody that knows how to do this. You just hit a rock wall. Or was it just a matter of growing that you knew it had to happen? It definitely is a slow thing, right? You do it kind of step by step the first time until you have some retrospective where you can see like, uh, where did we mess up the first time? But when you do it the first time, usually, or for a brand new business, it's usually a step-by-step. So for me, it was more like, hey, I'm interested in this business. Let me find more information on the numbers, particularly like income, seasonality. You know, what are the mechanics of it? Just learn a little bit more about it. So like, you know, if you want to look into a coin-operated laundry, you'd go find somebody, you know, does, it, does it fluctuate by season? What are the variables I need to look at? And once you find that first question, God, I had no idea how to proceed. That's when you pick up the phone. You got to start calling people. You got to start talking to people. One of my favorite things is just trying to find somebody new that's not doing what you're doing, but maybe tangentially related and just having a conversation with them because you never know where you're going to bring value or they're going to bring value to you. Like you said, the syndicating talent is huge. And that's how I found it for this project is I started with my friend that I knew was in the industry, met a new connection through him, just got as much information and gave as much value as I could give to that connection. And that's when we found, you know, like for the Texas wine industry in particular, there's a big gap right now where everybody in it, not everybody, but a lot of folks, it's very passion driven, like how I started, you know, <laughs> man, that seems really cool. I really want to go do this and they just do it. And that's the way a lot of great businesses are started. But if you want to succeed at something like we're doing, where it's at scale, it's mechanized, it's just huge. You've really got to bring the missing parts all together. You can't have good business sense and no talent to grow grapes. You can't have poor business sense and amazing talent in the vineyard. You've got to bring all the things together. And I think that's what we've done in our business. I think a lot of our businesses could relate to that. And what you just said there, it's like the person who's the expert at growing the grapes, they're not necessarily the person that understands all the numbers. Or, they may know, like I was saying, how much a truckload of T-Post costs, but right. how do you amortize that? You know, how are you going to fund it in the most efficient way? Yeah, or just operate a business. I mean, the back end of a business, which is so important. You know, I think a lot of people underestimate just the time it takes and the importance of that and just what it takes to make that happen as well. And again, that may not be the same person that understands how to make that crop produce its best. So anything else about syndicating talent? I wanted to go back to some model stuff, but you know, I just wanted to give you the opportunity though, because it's so important. And, and I think it's so interesting that you highlighted that as far as how you all have syndicated talent. So one of the things you always ask is what's something that you've done to improve your business that somebody else can do and implement in their business. And that for me right now is really looking at myself and our team and getting everybody together on our team to look at themselves in the last two or three years and say, what holes do we have? What holes do we have going forward? Where are we weakest? 
and really just aggressively going out and talking to new people so that we can try to address those weaknesses. Even if you think it's okay, well, okay is not going to cut it if you want to survive and really dominate in an industry or a niche. So that's what we're doing right now. And that goes back to the syndicating talent. You have to constantly be reassessing yourself and your team and getting everybody on board to, to look at themselves and team to find those weaknesses. I appreciate you bringing that up. I'm reading a lot right now just about business and structure and teams and core values, all those things, you know, that I just want to have in place. And so I think it's interesting you mentioned, you know, getting the whole team to look for holes and weaknesses because other people on the team are going to see things that you didn't even know were there. Right. right? Sometimes like a weakness isn't necessarily a weakness. It's just a burden, right? You can have somebody that's doing five different jobs and they're exceptional at all of them, but why not have them do the two things that they're exceptional at and go find two other people that their most exceptional quality is doing those other three things. You end up being a lot more efficient, even though there's more people. That's the way I look at it. Anyways. You're creating these models. Is there any resource that you recommend to just learn Excel? I know I'm still so inefficient at using Excel, but I've had to learn right? I've had to learn some just different things. But I know if I'd had some training or something in the beginning, I think it would have just pushed me ahead leaps and bounds. But is there anything that you recommend? Or is there any way to do that? So I will preface this with I have a distinct advantage at this with resource my dad. I was telling you before the show, you know, he's a CPA and the guy was using computers and spreadsheets when everybody else was still using paper to do modeling. So I have that. But He's not always available. Uh, YouTube is really incredible. You know, the things you can find on YouTube as far as explaining how to structure formulas, how to fix things that aren't working for you, because there are so many little, little tiny things like payment function. Like if you're going to calculate a payment in Excel, one of the most basic things you can do in real estate underwriting, that thing could give you a million different bucks if you just do one little thing wrong or something's wrong in another table that you're referencing. So YouTube's an incredible source for that, just crowdsourcing that information. Any Excel tips that you know we need to know about? Gosh, keep it simple. The fewer different spreadsheets and sheets that you can have, the better. I've done models that have literally 15 or 20 sheets in them, and they take you five minutes to load them on the computer. And if you open another one, they crash. It's not the way to go. Quantity does not mean quality. Keep it simple, especially when you're first doing it. Don't get too, too complex. Once you get working and you feel very confident that you have an environment that's functioning, everything's relating together well, then you can get a little more intricate and do some cash flow planning, things like that on a week to week or a monthly or daily basis. What are some things you're going to look for maybe when you're reviewing somebody else's deal or model? Since you understand the model so well and building models, what's going to be like the first few things you're going to go to to say, hey, did they do this right? Or, you know, to see maybe even if it's a good investment. So there's a couple things from an actual modeling standpoint, I'm going to look at, does it function correctly? Like is the actual math working behind it that actually uh, lies underneath it? If you have somebody that is good at that, I would definitely recommend <laughs> giving that to somebody else to look at, does everything relate together well? Is it coded well? But I think more important than that is to go back to the syndicating talent, find the people in that new business model and get multiple people to look at the numbers that are the primary assumptions in it. So whether it's revenue projections or cost of items, vet that yourself, go find more quotes, find more people that can tell you, is that accurate? You can't true that up enough. 
Yeah. So finding other people that are maybe more qualified, but then also, you know, looking, you mentioned like the primary assumptions uh, and what those are. And I can imagine like we were talking about in a vineyard business, I wouldn't have a clue what the assumptions should be. So I would have to reach out to somebody to even understand what that is. Even if I knew what the assumptions, like where they're at on the sheet, I wouldn't know if they're legitimate or not, or if they're extreme. Yeah. It's the same as anything else. You know, if you're going to do a burr project, you're not going to go buy a house before you've built a model of what is my actual cash flow going to look like. And you can't do that unless you have a finance partner that you've talked to that is willing to do the project and you know the LTV and things like that. And it's the same thing with any business. you got to know those key factors and have them really, really dialed in before you can say, hey, this is something I want to go gung-ho and jump in on, at least for me. What's been the hardest part of the syndication process or journey in real estate for you, Mason? Definitely investors. That's difficult. You know, I learned the hard way that a lesson that most syndicators and most real estate investors do learn when they deal with capital investors is you don't want to chase a particular fish too long, right? So we had gone through that process where we had somebody else that was on board for an equity investment. We chased that rabbit so long that all of a sudden it became a lot harder to execute our plan. So that can go down a rabbit hole. Investors are difficult to deal with. But, you know, as far as plants, and deal with partners, things like that. I find that a lot easier than dealing with investors. How did you overcome the investor pace? We overcame that by getting really creative. <laughs> so we continued pounding away. We remodeled the business every way you could think of. Our original model was to go out and we were going to purchase a half section of land and do the project, right? Well, that involves a whole lot of capital. What we instead pivoted over to was who can we find that has that as a capital resource? So they have land, but maybe they don't have the additional cash equity, the additional talent, the additional, you know, whatever it is, business stuff to make this project happen, but has the desire. And that's what we ended up finding. One of our partners, a fantastic partner, they already have some experience in the grape industry, obviously, because we grew the vineyard quite a bit. They already had some existing acreage, so they knew kind of what to expect. And a lot of times that's the best place to look for a partner is within the industry you're looking at. Find somebody that's willing to have an open mind and learn and grow. What's a downturn look like for a vineyard and how do you prepare for it? A downturn in a vineyard looks like an early freeze, <laughs> which most of the state had this year. So 2020 has been crazy. And we were talking to one of our bankers the other day and he looks at us. You know, I'm still impressed that y'all got all this in. I came to my desk every morning with 20, everything going on in 2020 just Totally expecting an email like, yeah, everything burned down today. Uh, just nothing, right? You know, it looks like an early freeze. It looks like hot temperatures and a drought all at once. And that's what we had this year. We've had the lowest production that pretty much anyone can remember in the state, which, you know, it's still a fairly young industry. But the good thing about the industry is like most commodities, if it's localized, like the Texas grape industry is, whenever there's a decline in product, there's also a sharp increase in the price of the commodity, right? So it tends to help level itself out. But there is an issue with vineyards when they're young, they don't produce anything. They don't produce anything of measure until year five in the ground. So you've got this big cash burn. So you really have to balance your growth with your existing cash flows very, very carefully so that you can weather things like that. Interesting. Yeah, five years. You're going to have a lot of faith in that operator, right? Yeah, that's what keeps, I think, a lot of investors out of the vineyard business. The beauty of it is once you get past that point, the inputs are so minimal that, you know, your margins are excellent. It's really, you need to find those people that are so skilled in operating the vineyard and getting it stood up that, you know, it's going to produce. And then you need to find the partners to be able to provide the capital to sustain it up until that point or have the cash flow. 
to get it to there. What's another way you all have improved your business that we can apply to ours that we haven't talked about? I've been reading some more books lately, and I finally got around to reading Four Hour Workweek which apparently it's like rich dad, poor dad. And I didn't know that everybody else has read this book, but uh, right there behind you. (laughs) That's one big thing that I've learned from there is really systematizing things. Because a lot of us in the business, we try to do everything. And continuing on that theme of what can I bring, what can my family bring to this new niche is things from the real estate world, from the business world. I think some of Tim Ferriss' strategies are really good as far as trying to outsource the little things to VAs and things like that. I know I know you take advantage of some VAs, it sounded like, and that's somewhere I'd really like to go uh, going forward with various things, just to take some things off of people's plates so that we can focus on the important and the strategic things. Nice. Yeah, so important. When you can start thinking about hiring that VA or that somebody that can take those things off your plate, what's your best source for meeting new investors now? Definitely individuals. I mean, the more people you can talk to and reach out to, it's going to open doors. And I haven't found another way to do it better than that so far. I'm still really interested in syndication and I want to get into that space. I want to get us into that space where we can continue to grow through syndication, especially through a web portal, but good old fashioned, now not so much shaking hands, but going out there and just talking to people, making phone calls, just cold calling people and saying, Hey, I saw your stuff and I want to see how I can provide some value to you. Here's who I am. Tell me about you. I made a call the other day that was great. Somebody you may want to look into, Coley Franson over at Helical Outposts in Louisiana. I just came across his stuff and I was like, this is really interesting. He does like a pop-up greenhouse hydroponic deal. Very interesting. (laughs) I learned a lot, but I hope one day I can provide some good value to him maybe. But doing stuff like that, that's how you meet those people that are going to be critical to your teams that you build later and maintaining relationships like that. What's the number one thing that's contributed to your success? Tenacity. Like I've said, you know, just tenaciously underwriting everything that comes across my path. One of the big things that people I think fail in real estate or any business is they either never take action or you get to something hard and you suddenly get this negativity about it, you know, and you give up. You can't not try. You can't give up. Otherwise, you're never going to do it. (laughs) That's all I've got on that. Every time I hit a brick wall, I start looking around. Where's the way around it? How can I smash through this thing? Hulk style. And I've always found a way around the brick wall. And we're here today. Awesome. Yeah, you can't give up. Love that. You got to find a way around the brick wall or how to go through it one, right? Uh, So how do you like to give back? My favorite way to give back is definitely through the church. My family and I are Catholic. I've just started getting involved in Knights of Columbus. We stay really in touch with folks that are needing in a local community. So my favorite way to get back is definitely locally. Like if you can find something like a Christmas in action, it's usually in the early summer, late spring. In your community, you should go do it. It's a program where you go out and you help somebody, typically elderly. They don't have the funds to help keep their house up and just contribute whatever you can. You don't have to be particularly skilled. I've done some contracting work, so I could do almost everything, but I love to go out there and swing a hammer and help somebody out because seeing that look in their face when they realize they just got another 10 years on their home is incredible. That's incredible. Nice. Well, Mason, I appreciate you giving back in that way and just grateful for your time today and thinking through these models. I mean, building a model, it can seem so overwhelming. You know, I look at some other people's models, especially when we're first getting started and it's like, oh man, you know, for me to build something like this, 
before it even began. And so uh, grateful for guys like you that have that skill. And really, you're just taking us through, like, see if someone else has a model and build your own model. And then find people that have superpowers that you're missing. I think that's such a crucial thing that you really told us about today that I know has helped our team tremendously as well. But how can the listeners get in touch with you and learn more about you? You can learn more about our business right now. The only web presence we're running is FirmForge. That's firmforge.com. That's for a custom crush, which is like a custom winemaking and grape processing facility. They can reach out to me in my personal email. It's mason at firmforge.com. Happy to answer any questions or make connections, things like that. So if there's ever any value I can add to you or your business, happy to help. Don't go yet. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I would love it if you would go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. I want to hear your feedback. It makes a big difference in getting the podcast out there. You can also go to the Real Estate Syndication Show on Facebook so you can connect with me and we can also receive feedback and your questions there that you want me to answer on the show. Subscribe too so you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, I want to keep you updated. So head over to lifebridgecapital.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with me, sign up on the contact us page so you can talk to me directly. Have a blessed day and I will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.